When I was a kid, my family moved here from California. Other church members thought we were a very happy family. We were very well-to-do. But there was a lot of turmoil. My dad was very quick to anger. He would leave marks on us occasionally. There was a lot of sadness on my mother's part. My wife has been diagnosed with bipolar. You are Please, please. I worked really hard to get out of my parents' house. When I saw her arms, first thing I thought was, she's going to die. Susan used so many ways to escape the misery of that house. Not sick anymore. And now I can't believe she has ended up back there. So you're lying to me. You didn't ask me the right question. Who funds all four of them? Wait, there's more people in the house? Mm-hmm. I never thought that I would be using drugs on my mom's bed with her sitting across from me. It's a dysfunctional mess. Please save your life. Please, now. You lose your life if you don't go now. Why did they put me in the middle like this? What the f is wrong with you? I mean, we should just pull the plug. Hey, hi, hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and listening to And What Did We Learn? I'm here all by myself, but that's okay. I am hanging out with y'all. Anybody who's listening, you're my buddy right now. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest. I'm not, I'm not not tired and I'm not not a little bit high because <laughs> I needed to relax and I did that in the bath with a joint. So if I seem a little woo, um, that's why, but it's fine. It's legal. It's safe. I just ate a bowl of chili. So that should balance things out, <laughs> I guess. Um, also disclaimer, the people above me are being really loud randomly. So that's fun. If you hear any banging or stomping, I promise there's no danger, just loud neighbors. So what you just heard uh, was the preamble, basically the uh, trailer for this episode of Intervention, which is Susan, episode one of season 22, the brand new season that just premiered um, a week ago, a week from a week before this airs, which means that when you're hearing this, there's probably a new intervention episode playing. So Maybe we can make this like a tandem thing. Like you hear my thoughts and then we watch the next one and then you hear my thoughts and then we watch the next one. And it's like, we're friends. <sighs> okay. Um, so anyway, uh, whether you've watched it or not, it is a really, really intense episode and very complex. There's a lot, a lot, a lot going on all at once. And I, by that, I don't mean like all these people are violent and, and crazy and in danger. I mean, psychologically speaking, there is so many separate and astoundingly severe dysfunctions um, and disorders that are rampant in this family, uh, in Susan's family. And you can hear a little bit of that in the pre preview, but you, you definitely do not know wh where this all goes. And then when you listen back, when I've watched back to those clips, you, I see the levels of denial and deception, especially in Susan's mom. So I'm going to probably talk all over the place here. I, I, I basically have the episode memorized because I've watched it so many times. It is a longer episode, so this is going to be a two-parter, um, this review. I hope that's okay with everybody. Um, let me know what you think um, about that kind of format. Um, let me know if like you would want to get a second half right away if you were a patron. Hmm, I don't know. Maybe that's a possibility. So anyway, we're introduced to Susan and Susan's family. So Susan uh, grew up in Las Vegas. They moved there from California because her father, who is a piece of work, um, God, well, I will get to it. Um, got a job, like a very prestigious job at a video game production company, which to me is funny because it's random, but it's also exactly 
what my fiance does for work. So I was just like, what? <laughs> he made video games of all things. But yeah, I, he was CTO, which I'm not sure what that means, actually. Hold, hold, please. What's a CTO in, in terms of a hierarchy at work, at a job? Oh, uh, chief technical officer. Technical officer. What would the chief technical officer of your company do? Specifically, video games. Charlie, I didn't ask you. Charlie wants to chime in. Okay, that makes sense. Engineering, he says. Okay, that that fits for this guy too, because he's definitely like on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, of he was of a video game company in in Vegas. They don't say the name, of course, because this is intervention. But you could probably figure it out by the games they list. Yeah, they're also. I know, right? He's like, there's no game places in Vegas. Okay, thanks, babe. Love you. Anyway, sorry. I hope you don't mind being in the middle of my conversations uh, with my cat and my fiance. Um, so there we go. So he's a chief technical officer. This makes sense to me because this man um, doesn't have social awareness. He doesn't have social intelligence, but he clearly can function intellectually. He worked his way up and, and has a legitimate job and seems to be successful at it. And it's a, it's a stereotype and it's certainly not always true, but it's, it's a stereotype for a reason that people that are on the spectrum meeting show, show behavioral signs that they fall under the category of being on the autism spectrum, basically is what that means. Uh, people uh, that fit that criteria often find that they are really proficient in technical careers, such as engineering careers that are predictable, uh, like math and science-based, very something that you learned once and it always stays the same. That's, that is something that those who are challenged with unpredictable events, i.e. talking to people, um, are often drawn to predictable disciplines. That, that just makes sense. That's survival, right? So uh, it's not a judgment. And I, I know that not all engineers are on the spectrum, of course. Uh, but this guy, there's a lot going on with him that's abnormal. So, and I, like I said, I'll get to it. Um, but he, I guess I'll say, uh, if I had to guess what is undiagnosed autistic high functioning, po possibly even a savant for his field with like no social ability whatsoever, no empathy. He just didn't, he was never taught those skills. And, and for most of us, we don't, we learn it through others, through our experience. But for those who learn differently and qualify as being on the spectrum, they need they don't learn in the same way as we do so they don't have that learning history to know how to react to social situations or how to be a good husband or a dad without help i'm not saying he couldn't have been i'm just saying clearly he never got support for what he lacked and he developed really aggressive replacement behaviors to deal with what you know, what he didn't know how to deal with. <laughs> like he got angry and, and violent, basically we find out. Um, so yeah, so childhood sucked. Uh, it was really hard. There were seven kids and uh, Jessica's mother, Dawn, was diagnosed bipolar and borderline personality disorder with borderline personality disorder when Dawn was young. And I mean, sorry, when Susan was young. And there is video of Dawn and she, she has an expression on her face that's very like she's smiling and looking at her children and then it's, suddenly she frowns because she's not, she doesn't know the camera's on her. And she just, it's like all the life goes out of her eyes. So yeah, it looks like definitely a lot of struggles there um, for Dawn and it, that becomes very clear very soon. Um, you know, but as far as her, the upbringing goes, uh, they were raised Latter-day Saint church. Jesus Christ, Church Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormon, which Dawn says either one is fine to say. So I'm just going to say Mormon. Um, 
And, you know, church was a big part of their upbringing and they get into a lot about how they were all about appearances and they had money. So it was easy to keep up appearances, you know, shower the kids with gifts and, and everybody would be like, you're so lucky. I was, I hope she doesn't mind because I'm not going to give anything away, but I was just um, having a conversation with a friend who was struggling because they aren't sure about their relationship um, right now, but feel guilty for questioning it, for feeling like maybe it's time to move on because they've been given material goods and they've been provided for financially by this person, not taken advantage of by any means, but because of their partnership and this is something that happens, you know, they received either gifts or just gifts and support, right? Which is what partners do. But everybody on the outside looks at that and thinks, wow, your life must be perfect. Someone's spending money on you, right? It's just, we're taught to believe that in this Western society, at least, that if somebody's spending money on you and you're doing well and you have a nice car and you have somewhere to live and, you know, maybe you don't even have to work, you you should be happy. Shut up and be happy, you know? And I actually think that um, Dawn struggled with that feeling as well. Like, we have to be perfect. And also, because we look perfect, I I should just be happy. And she has a line that she says, you know, I just always believed that if you're a good mother and a good wife, like life will be perfect, right? Because that's what she's been told. And that's what she's, that's why she's so unhappy and so mentally unhealthy, like, because she, she's not treating her disorders. She's just trying to force herself to be okay with not being okay. So it's a whole lot of, that's what I meant when I said this episode is a lot to tease apart. Um, and also the weed makes it like, I sound like a stoner. <laughs> so I'm so sorry, but I love you guys. And I, I hope you're still listening. Stay with me. Um, right. So this, this friend I was talking to, I said, my opinion is, and I said this, that those things are things that happened already. You were grateful you fulfilled your part of the contract in terms of your relationship and however you split finances in your cohabitation you didn't take advantage you didn't insist on being on receiving these things and furthermore none of these things and i mean things literally money and the things that are bought for you outweigh or or replace or pardon any problems that there might be or any unhappiness that you have you don't have to be happy there's no such thing as being happy for the somebody else's sake because that's literally impossible you can't force a feeling so if you're not happy then it doesn't matter that they bought you this or that or the other thing right because it won't make in the end of the day that won't make you happy so that's what that's the instinct you really need to go go by but that's clearly not happening here. So anyway, the kids, the two adult children that are um, of sound mind are, they're, you know, in their like 30s, I am, I'm assuming are, you know, talking to us in the interviews and talking about how, yeah, our life looked perfect from the outside. And Susan's talking to us as well, because we had money and we went to church every Sunday and that was, we behaved well, you know, um, and Every time there was a birthday, everybody got a lot of gifts. So there's so much mention of money being spent and gifts being given. And the dad himself, who, spoiler alert, is not a good dad, has this memory and he makes it sound like, oh, how sweet. I used to have this tradition where I'd drop the kids off at the mall and give them 20 bucks and say, get whatever you want. And it's like, that's not a fun tradition. That's you like not wanting to hang out with your kids and being like, here's some money. Leave me alone. You know? But he doesn't even realize that because this man functions in a way unconsciously that all of his behavior is motivated towards and pointed towards him just avoiding consequences or punishment. Like he just, he behaves only like whatever he does is just because it's the path of, of least resistance for him. It makes his life easier. So in terms of like helping quote unquote, 
being there for his family and helping them. It's really just self-serving, right? It's not his motivation, his, his, um, the function of his behavior is not to give to his family or to love his family or to show them affection. It's to, you know, look good as him, as a, as a dad, or it's to get his family off his back, or it's to not have, get in a fight with his wife. It's to avoid consequences that he doesn't want. That's his whole life. Like that's just how this guy walks through the world. And that's crazy. The maddening thing about it is that he doesn't get that this is not normal. He doesn't know what normal is. When you see him sit down with Ken and he's talking about how, oh, Susan and, and her mom have a great relationship now. And Ken says, really, what do they do? And he says, well, Dawn buys meth, uh, buys heroin for Susan and she, she gives it to her a little bit and watches her to make sure she's okay. And Ken is like, so this is a good relationship to you? And the guy's like, well, I mean, no, I moved out because of drugs. And it's like, but he just, he moved out because the drugs made his life inconvenient. You know, he didn't move out because he is morally opposed. Because he's still coming to the house and bringing them food and talking to, to, to Don about d the dosing. Like, eh, no big. So it's really just that his life is inconvenienced. And that's, and it would be more inconvenienced if he didn't bring them food because Dawn would go crazy because apparently she's very unstable. And I, so I'm not saying that because of her diagnoses. I'm saying that because of testimony from her children and her husband um, and just w watching her, observing her. It's very evident that she's not treating her mental, her illnesses and she's very unwell. And I mean, we'll get to it even more unwell than you know. So... Sorry, again, I know I'm talking all over the place here, but I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> so they're just coming out. They're flying out at you. Pew, 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 pew. Um, hope you don't mind. Um, so I, I, I'm doing clips, but I'm actually, I'm doing them live, everybody. So hopefully the um, audio is fine. I'll definitely check when I edit this, of course. But I, there are, there is really good audio in this. And um, I figured out Intervention's algorithm. I kid you not. I swear every four minutes, like clockwork, every four minutes is like a reveal or like a, like a, like a sobbing moment or like, it's like, it's like a crescendo to, to the four minute mark and then the eight minute mark and then the 12 minute mark. They all have like clip worthy moments. So we're actually not starting until 12 minutes. So don't worry, I'm not going to do every increment. But I just realized, I mean, this makes my life a hell of a lot easier in terms of choosing clips. So little hack, life hack. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, play a clip for y'all. And this is about Susan's kind of describing her relationship or lack thereof with her parents when she, when she was growing up. And this gives us a lot of insight and opens a can of worms that is, they're the most horrifying worms ever. Like, just all of it is bad. I felt like my mom didn't like me. She would make little passive-aggressive comments. Like, she told me that I would be her prettiest daughter if I lost weight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my mom was extremely critical of the clothes that she wore, her hair, her aesthetic. When she found out Susan was sleeping with her boyfriend, my mom hit the roof. I don't know if the words were actually said, but I'm, I do know they were. She, she called Susan a slut. I really did think that if you were a good wife and a good mother, your whole family would be perfect. Okay, so there was that line I was referencing. Um, yeah, that's just really heartbreaking. Uh, you know, there are like little moments. I haven't the most amazing mom ever, but there are moments in my childhood that I remember my feelings being hurt. But to have a mom who's, you know, strategically putting you down and hurting you for control basically for some sort of power and because they're ill i it's it's just it's clearly wrecked susan she doesn't have like a sense of self-worth 
at this point when we're, we're seeing her. Um, and then, she, you know, so after this, she goes on to say, like, I worked really hard to get out of my parents' house. Um, but, and now here I am <laughs> like right back here. And so it's like, she's just sort of saying like, look how far I've fallen. It's really, really sad. I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and say like here that I like Susan. I really, really feel for her. Um, so the next part is really alarming and obviously you can't see it. I mean, unless you actually watch it, but they do show what's going to be referenced at these wounds. And it's, 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 it was, I, I couldn't look at it the first two times I watched. It's only now that I can look at it. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I like looked a little bit more each time and shaped them my, my own behavior, my tolerance level, but it's, it's really horrifying. It looks like special effects makeup, like that on zombies. I'll just put it that way before I play this clip. So here we go. My apologies. This clip is going to talk about, before it talks about Susan's arms, it's going, it goes a little bit into how she got to where she got. So I'm going to let that play also, because that way I don't have to just rattle off a bunch of details. I really just want you guys to get, you know, the gist of what's happening. And then I go off on a tangent about it. So I hope that's okay. So here we go. When Susan was 24, she injured herself in the workplace lifting a patient and was prescribed pain pills. I had self-esteem issues from my childhood. I didn't feel like I was good enough. The pain pills that I took for my back also numbed some of my emotional pain. So I started using more and more. It was a fairly slow descent. I mean, first it was one oxy, and then two, and then, you know, four, and then after four years, and that became too expensive, and she went out to get the cheap stuff, which was heroin. The first time I bought heroin, I had found it on an online marketplace, and it was being marketed as black roofing tar. And it just spiraled from there. I was missing too much work because of my drug use, and I did get fired for absences. She lost her job, and she lost her apartment. I ended up homeless. She stayed with us for a little while, but then there was disagreements, and so she left our house and started living out of her car. She was shooting up in her car, and it was always infected. I saw her arms, and what I saw was unbelievable. Give me a it hurts. She was shooting up and there were no good veins and it just became easier to find. Okay, sorry, I, I paused the clip and I know that this is disgusting, but I just need to say like the level of how horrible Susan's arms are and the fact that you can see lower than flesh because of how much has been eaten away makes me understand for once don't worry i'm not done yet makes me understand the mother and and what we know she's doing or no sorry it makes me understand the mother feeling like i need to take my child in so we know that even providing housing if someone's still using is enabling right but it's very hard not to enable um but sorry i lost my train of thought i just realized that i posted the wrong thing on patreon okay on a little note it's not your guys's problem but i just got really anxious about it and it's probably because the image of this arm is on my screen so sorry uh it makes me understand the instinct of like oh my god okay you're coming home i'm taking care of you but there's two things here first of all no one ever mentions them going to the hospital which is just unbelievable to me. She, We see her change her bandages, but we never see her see a doctor. Like, she would be hospitalized if she went there. They wouldn't send her home. She would be in the hospital for months. She's telling it. Well, she'll, you'll hear it. But so first of all, that. And second of all, the reason that that even happened and the reason that I, I hate the mother even more is 
her arms are this bad and you brought her in and you're not taking her to the hospital. You're neglecting her needs now and you're helping her continue to do drugs. Even though her arms look like that. Like, are you crazy? Like, who cares that she's smoking it now instead of, yeah, at least she's not shooting up. Of course, thank God, because that's what's causing this. But having heroin in her body and not taking care of herself and not seeing a doctor sure as fuck isn't going to help her arms heal so i just needed to step in and say that the state of the arms just make this so much more horrifying and the betrayal and the the destructive manipulative like seriously like it's almost like misery like she's trapping this girl with because she knows she needs the drugs like it's really creepy it's 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 so sad this poor woman she she would have been fine if she hadn't had her childhood okay all right i'm gonna let the clip play again like i said have to do my tangents and that's why this has to be a two-part episode all right here we go a blood vessel that was in that kind of mishmash of uh flesh and so she would shoot up into that pit the wounds on my arms are extremely serious. The pain is like acid eating up flesh. I could lose my arms, lose feeling in my arms, or the use. When I saw her arms, the first thing I thought was, she's gonna die. I brought her home. <laughs> I mean, I wanted her home where I could get that needle away from her. The terms for Susan to move back in were that she would not shoot up I wanted her arms to heal. That was the whole purpose. So she would smoke heroin, but not shoot it. <laughs> I never thought that I would be using drugs on my mom's bed with her sitting across from me. And there it is. I already gave it away, but there's the reveal um, at just around 12 minutes that Susan is continuing to use in the house because Dawn is not only allowing it, but providing her with the drugs and watching her and making these little appointments um, as if they're doing like chemo or something like, oh, it's time for your medicine. It's horrendous. Um, so she provides the drugs and like literally hands her a little bit of drug at a time. And in this, I think she's enjoying infantilizing her daughter because she was not a good mother. She was very depressed or she was very sick. When she was raising her children, she clearly has no connection with Susan outside of drugs. And now Susan needs her. So she's, you know, controlling her with the drug. And she's also infantilizing her like so that she can make believe that she's like a young mom again, but she's a good mommy. She's here with her baby. She's taking care of her baby. So this is, again, all about her. Just like the dad and his motivations ultimately being all about him, this mother, Dawn, her motivations are ultimately about her because it's, it's not a situation where she's being beaten up for money here. Susan didn't even come begging you know she brought her in and said here's the deal um and she made a, like a devil's deal it's like a fucking ursula thing where it's like well i'll help like i'll take you in but i'm gonna keep you sick you know it's, it's very so many levels of of sick um but then on the other line other hand which i think coincides with kind of the borderline personality disorder of it all here dawn is instead of, you know, wanting to be the mommy, she switches where she's like the cool pal. And it's like, she's trying to impress Susan. Um, and when we find out that um, Dawn is also using, it makes sense that she she's doing this because she wants so desperately for Susan to like her at this point, that she's trying to be her. And also it's very common for people to self-medicate with drugs. And, and she started with meth, not heroin. Um, but then, of course, started using the heroin because as far as we know from all <laughs> drug users on TV, heroin is like gold in that it's the best high, but also the most dangerous. So 
Um, so that's where we are with that. And then um, we get some more about, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting names, about Susan, you know, I can't believe this. And then we get commentary from her, the, the people that you're hearing are comment are her, her brother. Um, and he's talking about, you know, the extent of this codependency you hear about, you hear from her brother and then you hear from her brother-in-law because she, her, her sister's on this as well. Her sister was the one saying that my mom called her a slut. Well, obviously she said my mom. Um, and the brother-in-law is saying, you know, this is the lowest form of parenting I can think of, which is true. She's poisoning her daughter. Like it, this is so different than other like situations of enabling that we see. And here's where it gets even more, what the heck? Um, the, the dysfunction of the relationship between the mom, the dad, and the dad and the kids, or the adults, the adult children living in the home. So basically we find out that though the her father moved out, he is still providing everything, doesn't seem to have a problem talking to them about drugs or doing their bidding like they really Susan clearly doesn't like him. So she just bosses him around. Like I like Susan and usually she's not a dick, but she's a dick to her dad. And I kind of get it like, cause her dad's never really been a dad. So we see this scene of Dawn on the bed falling apart. Cause she's like, you need to call me more. I miss you. Which is so weird. Cause they have like no connection, this married couple, but she's just incredibly codependent. And this is probably her, you know, her illness mixed with drugs um and chuck the dad is like well my wife and i are separated due to differences of opinion about drugs that's all he'll say so he makes it sound like he like doesn't approve of all this enabling right um it's really really wrong and like that's why i got out because i guess he caught on to that that being like what a normal person would do like but it's not what he did what happened was that he got kicked out because he was hitting them and they called the police um and he um, moved, so he had to get out. So he moved out because it's like, well, okay, I got kicked out, gotta get a house. And then he stayed, moved out because it was easier for him to live somewhere else because obviously it's easier to be alone and then co come to the house whenever he wants and just provide for them. So again, it's just him, you know, adapting in, in whatever way he needs to for things to be easy for himself. So he, moving out made things easier, but it would be hard not to provide for the family because then they would be coming after him and he'd have to deal with them. So he'll just provide, right? And that's a good relationship, right? Because he's that's what he's doing. Like that's his brain. I, it's very, um, it's, he has, he's very unaware of a lot of things. Ooh, okay, sorry, I needed to like breathe. I just talked a bunch with, <laughs> without breathing. So um, then we have this like really creepy moment of Susan sort of bonding with Dawn on the bed and Dawn is like, <gasps> like she might as well be drooling, like, please like me. And just what she says, it's all weird. So I'm just going to play this clip here um, for you. The impact it's had on our marriage has—it's uh, been devastating. So, and it's my favorite picture of us together. Is that what you call the shrine to my death? Shrine to death. I think my mom has been lonely her whole life. Yes, I'm in extra pain right now. So, can I take a small piece? Mm -hmm. And I think she likes keeping Susan addicted so that Susan will need her. Please. Yeah. I'm gonna pretend it's playing. Can I have a little bit more than that? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, that's perfect. Buying Susan drugs or giving her the money to buy drugs is the lowest form of mothering I can think of. Sorry to pause, but I just need to point out that while this is happening, it's so creepy. Dawn, who's already creepy, she's this like lady with these big eyes and the long 
like stringy gray hair and she always looks a little like panicked like a wild animal and she's like she's picking off pieces of heroin and handing them to susan to use and as susan smokes she stares at her while like leaning across the bed and stroking her back while susan is like her body language is like not cuddly at all she's just sitting up cross-legged it's really upsetting i just needed you to know that while you listen to this i can't imagine a parent doing that i'm grateful that you cared enough about me that you started having me come up to your room to smoke it means a lot to me to know that you're in my corner i don't know how he does but heavenly father always takes something bad and makes something good of it mm -hmm. i very much worry that susan's drug addiction will kill her Okay, so I just wanted you to hear that dynamic and also the way that Dawn deflects and uses a lot of rhetoric. I don't know how he does it, but Heavenly Father just always, you know, she sounds like she's either acting or she's in denial and is like a, a young child all of a sudden in her mind, you know? It's a little bit delusion and a little bit purposeful misdirection, like, oh, of course everything's fine. It's, um, you know, she's keeping it the way she needs to get this kind of attention from Susan. And honestly, I don't even, it's not about Susan. It could be anybody. I, she's, the, Susan is the one that's really vulnerable. And so she's taking, she's taking advantage of that, basically. I mean, honestly, this is abuse. So, and it doesn't matter that Susan's adult, you know, abuse happens to all people. So, yeah, this is pretty, pretty shitty. Um, so we talk more about just the severity, excuse me, of Susan's disorder, or I'm sorry, disorder, her disease. And um, then we find out randomly, like, why, I don't know. Excuse me, burping. Um Susan's friend Stan, like of all names, he does not look like a Stan either. He looks like um kind of looks like Dimitri Martin with a man bun. Uh <laughs> but uh he lives there with them. So basically, we're gonna find out, but that this is like basically a drug den. Everybody that lives there is addicted to drugs, even though it's like a really nice house in this Mormon neighborhood. Um, and Stan lives there because he lived with susan in her car for nine months which is like what why would you share your car i guess it kept her safer you know I'd, i mean i wouldn't want to be alone living in my car so stan's there he's kind of just like a, a mope like okay i'm here i'm staying like he's helping with the grocery list if this were a scripted movie i'd be like i don't really know why stan was there like what did we need stan for but it's not it's a documentary so stan's just there you guys and he kind of comes into play at the end with the intervention so uh he lives there because um he's homeless and dawn doesn't like have any boundaries so she doesn't care and again like we like i've said and has been made clear she really 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 wants susan to be there uh and stay so she's like well sure stan i don't care it doesn't affect me right all she cares about her she's got her eye on the prize um and then yes so it's it's just a really 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 awful dysfunctional toxic environment um and we get a scene of susan basically just like being like dad get my makeup and he's like well can you tell me what kind she's like figure it out <laughs> you know you know what i use he's like oh okay i i don't i don't know i guess i'll find it maybe um but anyway and then ken hi ken i really like ken now he's really grown up and grown into his role as an interventionist and i just think he's great in this episode this is not an easy one it's challenging in so many like i've said strange ways because this family is so deeply dysfunctional which is like hashtag relatable because not my immediate family but like my extended family is i could 
go on for 20 episodes. I mean, honestly, there's a lot of everything. (laughs) So yeah. Anyway, um, Ken is coming in and he's like, okay, I need to figure out like why the family dynamic is so fucked, you know? Like, how does this happen? And then he has this total, like, gaslighting conversation with the dad. The dad is gaslighting him, but it's almost like the dad doesn't even know he's gaslighting it. It's like he's a kid who doesn't know the answers, and so he's just hoping that he's right. Like, and I want you to hear it, because his tone and how he sounds does not not match anything that we've learned about him or the situation. It's like, dude, where are you right now? Uh, So... Let's get a let's get a taste of that. So, tell me why I'm here today. My my daughter is addicted to heroin. Off and on, she's gone to detox and rehab multiple times. Tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up. There, you know, there were certain struggles. My wife has been diagnosed with bipolar and uh, borderline personality. It was very traumatic emotionally for us kids growing up. You never knew what her mood would be. It might be fine, normal one minute, and then she get so upset and triggered the next. She would get very emotional very often. When she was mad at you, she got physical sometimes. You know, she would grab a hairbrush or a wooden spoon or something to hit you with. I can remember her trying this antidepressant and that antidepressant and this one wouldn't work and this one would give her terrible side effects and it was just medication after medication after medication looking for help the kids are being brought up by her at home right which stay at home mom okay so were you more of an absent dad that you weren't able to see all of the swings and the behaviors i think i was mostly at home you're mostly at home? Yeah, I was there for dinner and, you know, I spent time with the children. And right now, how's the relationship between her and our mom? Is It's good. I mean, they do uh, support each other. I think that they're even closer together than they've been in the past. Susan will smoke heroin at home with her mother. Two pieces. Dawn gives Susan the drug when needed. So she's dosing it out for her? Yeah, she's dosing it out for her. And that's every day? Every day. Three, four times a day is my understanding. Wow. Horrible. Horrible. Oh my gosh. I think right now I'm gonna do a few puffs. Dawn is addicted as well? Dawn is? Yes. Your wife? All right, so there's that big reveal. I mean, I already gave it away, but uh, yeah, Don is an addict. And then he's like, so how fucking long has this been going on? And like, kind of, why did you just tell me they have a great relationship? This is insane. But Ken is still in the dark, right? He he genuinely doesn't know what the hell's going on. Um, And then I kind of want to play Don talking about her addiction, because she acknowledges it, but it's just... It's interesting. So let's play that and talk about it. I became addicted to meth pretty quickly. It was a big surprise because every Mormon out there would tell you we do not use drugs. And I started smoking meth after having not smoked anything else, no cigarettes or drinking, nothing. So I went from zero to 60, I guess in one day really, because it made me feel so different. I mean, it's like, oh, I can think. But you have to understand that for quite a while, She's been using oxycodone for her, her back pains. She's been on lithium, Prozac. She was prescribed methamphetamine pills. Really? Yes. We all refer to my mom as the pharmacy. If you have an ailment, she is more than willing to share whatever pill you might need to cure that ailment. Holy what the fuck. Like, she was prescribed methamphetamine pills? Is that... A thing? That's speed. What was Fen Fen? Like in what year? Okay, so that sounds like maybe not so true, but it's true that she did all these prescriptions and she's probably been a pill addict for 
forever and he just doesn't know like he clearly doesn't know anything again he's like a child like well yeah mom's tired all the time but i don't know she has a lot of pills but that seems normal like that's how this guy operates willingly um it's really frustrating so ken's like okay so how does this play in you know to the mix of everything and he's still really not getting answers i mean, except that the obvious like oh the drugs make her mental health worse worse and it's like okay no shit so ken's getting concerned he's like i'm really worried about helping susan and then here i find out like literally everybody around her is either addicted or or, or just really mentally ill or both i mean the dad's the only one that we don't know does drugs but it's sort of like he might as well like he's not he's no healthier to be around and we know he's basically the chief enabler because he's the one with the money so um it's just really really fucking strange this whole situation is really really strange um and it's like i feel like the the vibe of this house would be so virgin suicidey like if you got have seen that film it's a great film <laughs> it's really upsetting so here's an, here's some more dialogue between mom and daughter what did you feel like in the beginning when he first started using i felt like i did with dexedrine and adderall i felt i could think more clearly did it give you energy because i know you started using it because of cleaning out your sewing room my dad wanted her to clean out a specific room in the house she felt very anxious because she didn't want him to throw out her stuff. I knew I couldn't do it physically. I didn't have the strength or the ability. She thought, you know, maybe if I take a little bit of methamphetamine, it will boost my energy. I'm sorry. Who it just out of nowhere is like, you know what I could use? Just a little bit of meth. Just a pop of meth. It's like, no. That is not a thing. That is, meth is not a starter drug. So, like, there's so much dishonesty here and denial and manipulation. And it's all working because, because the, the nature of these people are essentially getting what they want, but it's all bad. Like, they're all going to die because they're all getting what they want. Their, their really destructive behaviors are being reinforced constantly. Um, and then there's this, like, random moment where the mom is nagging the girl, the, daughter dawn is nagging susan about like why aren't you using that little lighter i got you and she's like oh i can't find it and she's like here it is and she's like you're not gonna use it and she's like i guess not you know like leave, leave me the fuck alone so um yeah she's now i mean sorry we are now gonna see or hear ken talk to the siblings and get like the real story the um from her brother and sister so here's that I have a feeling that there's way more to the story than what Chuck is letting on. I'm on my way to meet with two of Susan's siblings because I need to hear more about their family dynamic. Hello, come on in, I'm Jessica. Nice to meet you. It's very helpful to have someone from the outside help us now. Ken needs to understand how dire the, the situation is with my family and how we are at the point of do or die. So tell me a little bit about what's going on. I'm not sure what you know so far, but it's a dysfunctional mess. It's chaos. I'm terrified of my mom. She is so vicious and vindictive, raging, yelling, accusing. Really? But how long has that been going on for? My mom has had this behavior for years, but it's been escalating over the past five years. I had already started distancing myself from her. And now I really have nothing to do with her. She's difficult to be around. And you're always on edge a little bit when you're around her because you just don't know how she's going to react to what you say. What was your dad doing when she would do that? <laughs> OK, here's the thing. Like, I feel like he's the one that started it. When we were all really little, he is the one who was a bully every day. 
mom was the one that was just like trying to cope and trying to please him and trying to keep the house clean and homework done and the kids taken care of and having no support. My dad caused a lot of anxiety. He was very quick to anger. My dad was always in a bad mood. Every single day that he would come home, if my mom asked him, how was your day at work? He would say, miserable. Right before he would get home from work every day, we would clean that house very, very thoroughly so that when he walked in the door, we wouldn't have to hear yelling. He would come home and just start griping about how messy everything was. Of course it was messy. There were six kids running around. He would be upset if dinner wasn't ready. He would be upset if anybody needed homework help. What? You didn't do it on your own? I wouldn't say that there wasn't any spanking, but you know, we didn't spank the children any more than the average parent. He would leave marks on us occasionally, but you know, you had to stay out of his way when he was upset. Okay, honestly, that's really upsetting. And you know, the guy seems meek when he's interviewed. And that leads me to believe that, you know, his rage is, his rage builds up from things that he doesn't understand and he takes it out on the people around him because he doesn't have the comprehension to understand that the things that make him unhappy in life aren't always other people's fault. So much like his daughter said, he built this this not culture but i mean yeah i guess culture but this this um life this lifestyle this mindset he created an entire household full of this dysfunction he started it that's what she said um an atmosphere sorry that's the word he created an atmosphere of tension and fear and just uneasiness which is probably like the worst feeling to have and anybody that's been abused by anybody and had to live with them or be in the same space with them can understand that feeling of being uneasy it's it's almost worse than being hit or being yelled at um, because the anticipation and the way that your body and your mind react when you go into fight or flight they're traumatic they hurt they they suck and they affect you and they they keep your brain and your body from doing the things that it needs to do. And if you're a child, you know, that's why you get permanently like affected by things when you're growing up because you're growing up literally gets interrupted by these things that you should never have to deal with. And so these poor kids, and I, I have to say it, even this poor wife at one point, you know, she really was just a victim of this dumb, awful, selfish, dope Ugh, he's not he doesn't even have any conviction is what drives me crazy you know beyond just all the terrible things he's done nathan's like yeah he moved out but not for the reasons he told you and this isn't to bash my dad or say that he's at fault for the whole family breakdown but this was his role in it well it sounds like he had a huge part in it yeah he moved out of the house because it was too chaotic and because he was arrested because my mom said she got pushed against some shelves. So he got arrested. By your dad? Yeah. Mom and Julie said that he had attacked them, but according to my dad, they made it up. He moved out. After he moved he out arrested. after all this happened. But he still goes there. He funds all four of them. He funds all four of their oh, yeah. addiction? Yeah. Wait, there's more people in the house? Mm-hmm. And they're all using. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's right, Ken. Wow. There are two other adult siblings, and unfortunately, they didn't want to participate in the documentary. I so wish that they had, but of course, this is real life, and people are allowed to have boundaries, and I get that. Um, a brother and a sister that are both, they both have their own addictions, I believe. The brother is also addicted to heroin. And the sister is some is an alcoholic, so that comes up more towards the end. Um, but yeah, after that reveal, Ken is just like, I don't even know. This gets crazy, you guys. This isn't. It's not even. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, so he, we get the breakdown. There's the youngest, the youngest sister, 
um, Julie, and then there's a brother, Daniel, which he did get mentioned in the beginning about living there. And they just said, oh, he has trouble making his own meals. And now it's like, okay, so they're taking care of him. Um, and now Julie's, Julie, Daniel, and Susan all living there are basically making it along with the mom, just a drug den, <laughs> you know, with, especially considering that three out of these four people are doing heroin. And then the dad just comes by to bring him groceries <laughs> and makeup. It's just like, what the actual fuck? Um, so Ken is really, he's not rude at all, but he's just like, I, I, this is way more than I was told. And it's not just that I didn't know, but it's very problematic that I was sitting down with your dad and none of this occurred to him. And it's true. It seems like he, he hides some things because he knows it'll like make him look bad or maybe he'll get in trouble. Again, this is like a kid in the principal's office. He's just trying to give the right answers. And it doesn't even occur to him to be like, gosh, you know what's really bad? Like everyone in my house is a drug addict and we should definitely change that. It's like, why wouldn't he mention that? But it, I think it genuinely doesn't occur to him because his that's not the way that his mind works and he's never been taught. He's never been taught. He needed to be taught and he wasn't. So anyway, um, <laughs> so they talk about how this cycle of enabling, of course, like the, everybody's enabling, the dad's enabling, clearly doesn't understand what that means or that he is. And then when we talk to him later on, he's very like, well, what are you talking about? What did I do wrong? I, what do you mean I lied? Um, and then we get this weird part where Dawn talks about how she likes to hide in her closet, which I know, guys, I know I'm in my closet right now. But for her, she's like taking meals in her closet because she feels safe. So like clearly she is very traumatized and she's got things lined up, something that it's a spray bottle. I don't know if it's like mace. Like so she's been hurt and manipulated physically and emotionally. Um, and then we get a little bit from her about why, like what, you know, obviously we know why, but in her words. I had not ever felt like I measured up in Chuck's eyes. So I hoped that meth would give me the energy to be the perfect mother and wife. I know every Mormon out there would tell you we should not use drugs. I know. Heavenly Father will forgive me. And I feel like he's forgiven me from day to day. But I'm really working on it. Shaking it like that kind of makes it coat the glass real thinly. I don't know why, but I just like it when it's real thin. I guess it melts faster. On a scale of 1 to 10, the urgency of having this intervention is definitely a 10. I hope I'm not letting any escape. Don is killing Susan, but also killing herself. She's bringing them both to the grave. Stop. 